Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to explore genetic testing for healthy individuals. I have Kira Deneen with me today, and she is the host of DNA Today, the podcast DNA Today. She is such an expert in this field. She's a certified genetic counselor. And she's had a very impressive career in working with DNA testing and genetics. So why am I doing this? Well, I personally did 23andMe and I did Ancestry and I found them to be really intriguing and invaluable with information. And I think genetic testing, it's such a popular option now for today's consumers. And I think it's it warrants a discussion about what are some of the pros and cons and what are some of the things that we need to be on the lookout for? Because we're not talking about diagnosing diseases or uncovering our ancestry. We're rather, you know, today, again, we're talking about the pros and cons of genetic testing. But also, I think Kira is going to be able to share her expertise on how these tests can actually empower you and your clients and help you to make informed decisions and also maybe to uncover some potential risks early on. So Kira, I'm going to bring you in. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Hi, Angie Miller. How are you doing? I'm really excited to be here. I am doing really, really well. Your podcast is so amazing and you share amazing information with some really powerful guests. So it is my privilege to have you on the show today on this Halloween, as a matter of fact. So, um, so Kira, my, you know, I want to just start out by asking you this concept of genetic testing. Can you explain it to listeners who may not be familiar with it, who may not have deep dived into any type of genetic testing themselves? Sure. So when we look at genetic testing, we're looking at someone's genes to see, is there any changes that could affect someone's health? Or there's kind of that, you know, entertainment space of looking at other traits that we can look at in our genes. So it's really being able to look at our DNA, the blueprint to us, um, and what is controlling the proteins that are created and, and affects our health. So it's being able to look at that. And there's lots of different areas. Um, there is, you know, uh, pediatrics, prenatal, cancer, um, ophthalmology, cardiac. There's so many different areas to be doing genetic testing in and where it's related. What is interesting is that we see a lot more people that are healthy doing genetic testing just to see what they can learn. So I think that's been an interesting area that's really popped up more in the last few years. I know that's what we're talking about today, but genetic testing can be, you know, ordered in many, many different scenarios and for many different reasons. I agree. I think a lot more healthy people are doing it. We're an information society. And I think that the mindset oftentimes is, well, if it's available, why not? Why not know more? But, you know, that also leads to some other things. And, and I don't want to get into that right now, but sometimes knowing more, you have to know that you might uncover things and you have to, you have to kind of know, do I have the bandwidth to manage this? Like, what if it uncovers that there's an, a parent that isn't expected? Or what if it uncovers information that I'm not quite ready to deal with? And so I think we can get into that later, like in the ethical considerations, because I do think that it warrants taking a pause and really asking yourself as a consumer, as an individual, am I prepared for what I might find in this testing? Because 
it, it uncovers a lot of information. But before I even go there, I'm just curious, Kira, because when we spoke, you really intrigued me because you started your podcast when you were in high school. And I yeah. find that absolutely fascinating. You were way ahead of the curve. And uh, what got you interested in genetics and yeah. doing a podcast about it in high school? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, an interesting start. I think most people that were starting podcasts were doing so after Serial, the podcast launched in like 2014. Before that, I had to, you know, I said, oh, I host some podcasts and people were like, what is that? And I'd have to be like, it's an internet radio show. Um, so that's how I described it before uh, everyone knew what a podcast was. But yeah, I got into it because I just found genetics to be so interesting. It was always my favorite unit in school when we get around to that in biology classes. And I just wanted to learn so much more about genetics. So I saw starting a podcast as an opportunity to talk with people that were in the field working, but most people are not going to take an interview with a high school student. They're going to you know, save that time for college students. And so I was like, well, maybe if I'm interviewing them on a show, then they'll say yes to me. So that's kind of how it, how the show started. Um, I wanted to hold my hold myself accountable to be learning about a lot of these genetic topics. And I was learning along with my audience. So, you know, started 11 years ago. So I'm definitely at a different place now. I have a master's in genetics. I'm a practicing genetic counselor, as you mentioned. So um, now I'm more educating my audience as opposed to learning with them. But there are certainly still episodes I am learning right along with them, which is is really exciting that I'm able to keep up in a lot of areas within genetics as we talked about. It's not just one area, but every area of healthcare either has genetics already tied to it and we're already active in that area or we will be in the near future. Yeah. Well, and what's fascinating about your story is that you knew what you wanted to do. And so you deep dived into it and got your, you surrounded yourself with a community of people who are already in this space who could give you information. And I think that's testament to all of us. If you really want to do something, surround yourself with people who are doing it, get all the information you can, all the resources and, and also the, the networking. So, you know, a lot of people are familiar with genetic testing for health issues, but how does genetic testing for healthy individuals differ from like diagnostic testing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there's also this concept that I want people to understand that there is medical grade testing, which is ordered by a healthcare provider like myself as a certified genetic counselor or a doctor, a nurse practitioner, some, someone in that healthcare role. And then there's the direct consumer testing, which is just as it sounds, you can order it yourself. So you mentioned at the top of the show, 23andMe, Ancestry DNA. there's a bunch of companies like this where you can just go online and order it, or you pick it up at a store, you see it at Costco, at Target, wherever, and you can just buy that yourself and have the testing done. So those are the two different avenues of going through genetic testing. A lot of people are familiar with these direct consumer tests like Ancestry DNA, like 23andMe, where there isn't a healthcare provider involved. And so a lot of people doing this are healthy people that are just like, this seems interesting. What could I learn from this? And you touched on an interesting topic earlier that it is really helpful to know, well, what information am I going to get from this? What am I signing up for? Do I really am I really truly giving consent? Is it informed consent? Um, so I think that sometimes can be an issue with some of the direct consumer testing companies of just like how much information they're telling people ahead of time of what they're going to get. Because as you said, Angie, like, is that information that you want to know? And is this the best time to learn that information? 
And some people may not realize that they could find out something that they weren't prepared to find out. Um, so I think it's really good for anybody looking into this to say, well, you know, is this information that I do want to know and how will that affect family members and different relationships? There's so many levels to look at it, but I think it's important just to understand that there are differences between this medical grade testing and the direct consumer testing where direct consumer testing often will look at the surface level and medical grade testing is really going in much deeper. So you're kind of getting more information typically when you're doing medical grade testing. Yeah. And I think both, I think both invite a lot of information, but with medical grade testing, you know, ahead of time, you know what you're going to find out and you have a resource right there. The person who ordered the test is part of your resource community to say, this is what this means. And this is how we can make sense of this. Whereas if you do direct and consumer testing, there's not parent expected. And like you said, that can change family relationships or change the way that you view your personal narrative or your own history. But also I know like when I did 23 and me and those, and those other ones, like you have the option to say, uh, I don't know. I don't want to know if I carried like the Alzheimer's gene. I mean, you yes. do have that option or the BRCA genes, you know, mm -hmm. you do have that option, but I think you have to be very aware as a consumer to your point of what am I signing up for and what am I saying mm -hmm. yes to? And if I say, yes, I want to know this, am I really certain that I have the tools to deal with the information? And if not, you know, because I do think with direct to consumer testing, that's one, that's one missing gap. I think there's a missing gap of, hey, we've got these therapists lined up or we've got these people mm -hmm. lined up to help you um, manage what might come your way that you may have no fathomable idea how much that might impact your life. Because, of course, you don't know until you know. And so um, I think that's that's a, a very good point. Um, so what about, you know, some potential advantages for individuals then who who opt into that genetic testing to inform their health decisions? What are some potential advantages? I think some great advantages are people that don't know too much about their family history. So when we look at some of these testing, if someone was, say, adopted and doesn't have access to their biological family members' history of their health conditions, if someone was donor-conceived and also has limited information of you know, that sperm or egg donor, if someone does find out that the parent they grew up with is not their biological parent, then the information we had about family history then changes. You're like, wait a minute, that half of my family history that I thought I knew is actually different. There could be a lot of different reasons that someone just doesn't know family history information. So I think in those cases, it can be really helpful to do some kind of genetic testing, whether that's medical grade testing or direct consumer testing to say, well, because we don't have that background, that's going to prompt us to say, let me look further, just starting to get that baseline information. So I think that can be a very helpful situation to share a story. Um, you know, I, I know an acquaintance that, um, you know, is in their 20s and uh, is adopted, so doesn't have biological family health history. And so did the um, one of these direct consumer testing companies and learn that they have what we call a pathogenic variant or a mutation in a gene that elevates their risk for breast cancer, and they're assigned female at birth. And this led them to talk to their GYN doctor and say, hey, I learned this, like, you know, is there anything I should do to follow up? This person ended up 
having follow-up screening and actually finding very, very early breast cancer that if mm -hmm. they didn't do this direct consumer test because of just, wow, I don't know too much about my history. Let me do this. They never would have brought this up to their doctor. You don't get breast cancer screening when you're in your 20s. That's just not something that's standard in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just an example of something that because this person did that, it led them to have an early diagnosis. And the earlier we diagnose something, especially breast cancer, the better the outcome is in terms of treatment. And this person is healthy and fine today. So is that one particular story? Sure. But you magnify that by how many people have done direct consumer testing and all the different things that they'll learn from this. So I think there can be a time and place. And, and there are people too that are in this situation that meet with someone like me that's a certified genetic counselor and say, hey, I am limited with what I know about my family history. Is there medical grade testing that we could order to look at certain things? So I think that can also be helpful. It doesn't have to be direct consumer. You can, you know, Google find a genetic counselor.com is such a great resource if you're in the United States because you can find a genetic counselor local to you or a remote genetic counselor and have a telehealth consult. We've been doing a lot more telehealth in this, you know, kind of endemic. The pandemic really brought that on. So I think that there's just so many opportunities, especially with the cost of testing rapidly dropping, that these options are now more affordable to more people. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that that's so true. I've noticed that even the medical grade testing, it's just all so much more accessible. And I think that the more available things become, of course, the more, the more, you know, that drives down costs. Plus there's more, let's be frank, there's more competition. There's more companies doing this testing. Therefore, there's a little bit of a healthy competition in relation to price structure and so forth. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think too, you know, for adoptees, for uh, donor concede for different populations, especially it's a, it, that may have very, very limited information. So Kira, I want to reintroduce you. Um, this is Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller. I'm talking to Kira Deneen, and she is just an amazing, she's an amazing genetic counselor. She's got a great podcast called DNA Today, and she's just a wealth of information. Um, Kira's been deep diving into genetics since she was in high school. And so um, I love hearing everything that you have to say. So we're talking about Thanks, genetic Angie. testing for healthy individuals, because I think that most of our audience would consider themselves healthy here at NASM. And those who are listening to Strong Mind, Strong Body, um, I think that's the intention to feel healthy inside and out. So, um, you know, we kind of touched a little bit on ethical considerations or some of the downsides because we, I heard your story and I think that's a powerful story about catching things early on and then deciding, Hey, do I want medical grade testing? Do I want more information? Are there any other ethical considerations or downsides that you might want to address that you think are, are worth kind of hmm, maybe considering? I think it's important to be looking at what type of information you want at what point in your life. So I'm in my late 20s. I'm not very much concerned about conditions that are going to affect me decades to come. I don't find that that would be advantageous. You mentioned Alzheimer's earlier. I have done a lot of genetic testing um, through various companies. I've done direct consumer testing, 23andMe, Ancestry DNA. I've done medical grade testing where, you know, that's technically under a ordering provider, like a healthcare provider. And I think through all that, a decision I've made is I don't want to learn about my genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's disease. That's for many reasons. And I think a lot of people 
um, you know, can resonate with me on some of these points. And some people may say, no, I'd want to know that. And so, you know, hopefully this sparks your own thoughts and to ask yourself questions. For me, I have a family history of Alzheimer's. So that is something that I'm, I'm already at, um, you know, a higher risk level because of that. Looking at the genetics for it, that's also predisposition. It is not a diagnosis for most of the genes that we're looking at. It's really those risk levels. And right now in, you know, October of 2023, we do not have anything to really prevent Alzheimer's disease. There are things that we can do, lifestyle changes that can certainly, you know, help maybe reduce the risk. But a lot of that is correlation studies. It is not necessarily, oh, this has been proven, right? It's more like, well, we've seen that doing this or that can reduce the risk. But, you know, we're not even quite sure on that. So because there's nothing definitive that I can do, I don't see any advantage right now to learning if I am at increased risk for Alzheimer's disease based on my genetics. You know, um, if I could just interject here, that's so it's interesting that you say that because my sisters and I go through this all the time because I have four older sisters and it's like, at least one of them is like, oh no, I want to know. And the rest of us are like, uh, absolutely not. Um, unless there is a definitive, you know, a leads to be, if you take this drug, you can, or, you know, if you do this, then you won't get this. It's like, well, that's a pile of information. And to think that that's going to be in my mental space, from here until, you know, and then every time I forget where my car keys are, there my mind goes. And exactly, so, um, it's a slippery slope. And so I'm glad you brought that one up because I do think we're a, a need to know society, but boy, we really need to sit with that question of, do I need to know? <laughs> and if I know, do I really know what that's going to mean for me in my mental space? So thank you. Yeah. And I think a person that's been in the media um, for a little bit is Chris Hemsworth. So AKA Thor. Um, so he was on a show called Limitless. I think it's on Disney plus, And he was doing a bunch of things of just kind of looking at health information and found out, and this is public information. I'm not friends with Chris Hemsworth. There's, uh, but you know, he shared on the show of him learning that he's at elevated risk for Alzheimer's disease because of his genetic status. And that's the APOE gene. So mm -hmm. he has two versions. We all have two copies of every gene. So both his versions are the ones that increase your risk. So he he's at a very increased risk for Alzheimer's. And it's like, you know, there's that concept of, did he truly understand what the testing was beforehand before he learned this? I don't know. Um, but I think that's just something that people really should sit with these questions themselves and say, do I want to learn this? And what is this revealing about other family members? So, you know, for, for Chris Hemsworth, that means that he inherited one copy from each parent. So he's, by having this information, he's automatically revealing half of his parents' information based on the results that he got. So you also have to think about how this affects family members. Um, I've done, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of genetic testing and some of these databases, there's a lot of controversy over, you know, what if they sell their data to someone and all of this? I think those are valid questions. There was, um, you know, my family, uh, you know, every Christmas Eve, the the cousins all sit together and we have our meal together. And, you know, we call it the kids table, even though everybody's getting older. But, you know, I'm talking about doing this and my cousin kind of that's a smart aleck looks over at me and he said, you didn't have my permission to send in Deneen genetics over. He's joking, but he has a point, right? Like I'm sending over his genetics as well as my own. 
Now it's less because he's a, he's a, um, you know, he's a first cousin, but my brother has more of a right to be angry, right? He's my full brother. So we, we probably share, you know, 50, 60% of our genetics because, uh, you know, we're pretty similar. Um, so I think there's a lot of information too, of like, if you're sending it in, do you want to send it in with a pseudonym? I could have sent it in as Hermione Granger instead of Kira Deneen. There was that moment where I'm like, do I send it in under my real name? So there's a lot of things that people need to think about too, of where is this data going? Is this a company that you feel comfortable having your genetic information? Mm, you know, that's an interesting one. I it's It's funny because I went through that same thing. And then some of the information that I got, I actually thought, mm, I kind of wish I had used a pseudonym and not actually, you know, used me. And then now that I'm in the system, I'll have people request to share genetic results. And I'm like, oh, absolutely not. I mean, people's comfort level is very, very different. Yes. That's just not my comfort level. And so it is a very, um, it's an interesting space. And until you get into the space, I'm not sure that you really have the, the, it's hard to understand what you're really stepping into. Um, it's, it's, it's much like anything, right? You don't know until you know, until you're into the situation. And sometimes you're in so deep, it's too late to back out. So I'm glad that we're having this discussion for everyone to hear this so that they can maybe, if they're considering it, go, yes, no, oh, I never thought about that. That's what I want to invite into this conversation is just some good quality thoughts on everyone's parts that they can make a conscious decision. Yeah, um, like the phrase, like, think before you spit. <laughs> so I did not coin that, but, uh, you know, I think another genetic counselor did. But you have to think through all of these things and like maybe all your answers to those questions you're asking yourself is like, yes, I do want to do this. Great. I just want people to take the time to do that. And part, part of my job as a genetic counselor, when I'm sitting with patients talking about, okay, these are testing options. I don't care what patients do. I just want them to make the decision that makes the most sense for them and their families. So I'm presenting the options and they're asking questions, learning about it. And sometimes at the end of the session, they say, thanks for going through all this with me. I'm glad I actually talked about it because going into this, I thought I was doing it. And now that I know about it, I actually don't want to do the testing. To me, mm -hmm. that's a win because I've educated that person so that they're saying, you know what, this is not a match or something that maybe they'll come back to, um, you know, depending in pregnancy, everything's very timed. And that's mostly what I'm working in. But some people, it's other testing, like what we've been talking about for healthy individuals, where it's like. A lot of times you do not need to be making this decision this week, this month, maybe even this year, if you're a healthy individual and just looking for more information um, and deciding which boxes you're ticking off in terms of what information you want to learn. Hmm. Yeah. I always think that my brain is like a bunch of little compartments. And um, sometimes I, I have to ask myself, is there room for one more compartment? <laughs> because that one compartment could take up more space than I actually want it to. So um, I, I agree. If you give somebody valuable information and they decide not to, it's a win because they're saying, hey, I don't have, this isn't my time. This isn't a good time for me to find this information out. So Kira, can you also explain, you know, how do polygenic risk factors um, or how do polygenic risk scores factor into genetic testing for healthy individuals and how are those calculated? Yeah, these are so interesting and it's really been like a buzz term the last few years. So I'll kind of break it down. So polygenic stands for many genes and risk score is kind of uh, self-explanatory. And basically what it, a lot of these 
polygenic risk scores is over time, we have done what's called genome-wide association studies. So it kind of stands for GWAS there. And what we do is we look at a bunch of people's genomes and we look at different traits that they have and say, okay, for people that have this certain trait, um, maybe it's that they really love drinking coffee and they're very sensitive to caffeine. Um, I'm totally in that camp. Um, also, shout out to the episode you did about caffeine and coffee. Um, that was a great one. I was listening to that yesterday. I found it very, very interesting, even just knowing how many milligrams are in certain things that a, a traditional cup of coffee is like about you know 80 to 100 milligrams, I learned. But anyway, I digress. You guys should go listen to that. But um, you know, looking at people's genomes and looking at that information, it's not just one gene or one change in one gene that leads us to some of these traits. Polygenic, many genes, means that there are many genes, very many genetic changes that all accumulate to the influence of a trait. So actually, I, I've, you know, as I mentioned, I've done a lot of genetic testing on myself um, or sending it off to labs that have done it for me. And that is one of the things that I learned from looking at having my whole genome sequenced. One of the labs I worked with, um, which is an upcoming episode on my show where we actually dive into my results and what this all means and what is the data behind that that has led them to say what percentile I'm in. And so for caffeine consumption, I'm like, I think in either the high 80s or low 90s in terms of for the genetic role that caffeine sensitivity plays, I'm at a very high point in that. So, you know, another way to phrase that is how much of the portion that my genes contribute to this, how much is that kind of putting me over the edge in terms of being much more sensitive to caffeine? So it's not just one gene, it's multiple genes. And as time goes on, we learn more and more genes and more and more spelling differences of those genes of how they all play a role. Another example would be height. Height is controlled by hundreds of genes. It is not a, it's a straightforward trait in terms of you can measure someone and say, I'm 5'7", maybe I'm 5'6", something like that. But you can't necessarily say, well, it's completely controlled by your genes because let's say growing up, I didn't have access to healthy foods. I didn't have access to enough calories growing up or something like that. I'm not going to reach my full potential height. So there also is an environmental role in that as well, but it's mostly going to be predetermined by your genetics. So if we look at one of those genes, okay, it gives you a wee bit of information, but by looking at hundreds and hundreds of genes, then you start accumulating all of that data. And then you can give a prediction in terms of maybe a range of that. Now, I didn't get that prediction from my genome. I think we're a little bit far off from that, but it goes to show you just how much more we have to learn so that these polygenic risk scores are more and more accurate over the years. So I'm very excited to see kind of where we go in the future with this. And we're just constantly learning what genes are doing and the spelling differences in those genes. Is that affecting how that gene operates either correctly or incorrectly? Yeah, well, and if I'm if I understand it correctly, the more we do, the more testing we do and the more popular this gets, the more information we're going to have because there's more of a population sample. Is that true? Or exactly. Yeah, that's a great point, Angie. So a lot of the genetic testing that we started with, the people that we were taking samples from, most, if not all of them, when the field started of looking at all of this, were of European descent. 
So there is a huge disparity when people of non-European descent do genetic testing, where we might find a genetic change that we haven't documented before. And this can happen throughout, you know, any ancestry, but it happens more often in people that are non-European because our databases just do not reflect human diversity. We are slowly getting better at this, but emphasis on slowly. Um, but as time goes, we are going to be able to understand more and more of this and understand these changes. But genetics is very complicated, which makes it such a cool field to be in and be following and learning about all this, um, but also makes it hard to explain to people. Yeah, well, I mean, even I'm sitting here in awe, kind of hanging on your every word, and you and I have spoken and I've done testing, but there's just, it's just such a big animal of information. Cure Deneen, I am so happy that you came on the show, and I'm happy that you shared everything with our Strong Mind, Strong Body listeners. I probably had 20 more questions for you, but <laughs> yes. I plan to have you back on at the first of the year. So to all of you listeners who are listening to Kira and hanging on her every word like I am, I'm hoping to have her back on right after the first of the year. We'll deep dive more into what it means, you know, what all this genetic testing is and some other um, concerns related to it. But uh, Kira, could you tell our listeners how they can reach you if they have a question or maybe just, I know you quickly said something earlier about looking for genetic counselors. You gave the website. You might want to say yes. that one more time. Yeah, I'd love to share that. So if you're looking for a genetic counselor, you want to talk to a genetic expert about yourself, someone in your family, I recommend going to findageneticcounselor.com. You could also just Google that phrase. Um, but findageneticcounselor.com is a fantastic resource. If you're in the United States, really recommend that. If you want to check out my podcast, I basically have conversations where I nerd out like Angie and I have today. Um, it's DNA Today. Um, so right there on the screen there, you can see I'm actually wearing a shirt with the logo. So that's convenient. Um, so you can look out for the green logo there, DNA Today. We have over 250 episodes. We talk about so many topics within genetics. And we have an episode coming out before the end of the year uh, that I teased earlier of basically me getting a consult about sequencing my own genome and asking a lot of questions and how that works. And if you're interested in looking at your own genome, being a healthy individual, that might be an episode you want to check out. That's with Nebula Genomics. So that's coming out soon. But thank you so much, Angie. This was just such a fabulous conversation. You are such a good host. You make it so easy. Um, it's not easy being a host. So you got to point out the skills happening there, Angie. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Karen. You know what? Thanks to all of our Strong Mind, Strong Body listeners. Um, so happy that you tuned in. Always submit topic suggestions, reach out to me via email, let me know your thoughts, but we always love to hear from you. So again, thank you to all of our listeners and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.